This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now, your host, Scott Walker. Right now, that time, 8.15, you're listening to WGNS on this Monday morning, today, the 21st of August. And in studio during the first half of the program this morning, we have MTSU Captain Jeff Martinez with the police department there. Uh, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So you guys have been pretty busy and you've got some uh, more training coming up. Yeah. You know, over the summer, we try to make training our, our priority and we wanted to make sure, you know, we're ready for the fall semester is, is is our biggest priority. So one of the things we did was make sure that all of our officers are appropriately trained in, in bicycle training. That's one of the best ways that we can serve our community because, you know, bike bike patrol is actually a lot easier to move around campus than it is in a vehicle. And it's more personal. You get to talk to people and the more you know, one-on-one time we have with, with the our, our community is the better for us. And, and you guys trained about, what, 15 officers over the summer? We did. We, fa- we trained roughly 15 to 17 officers. We actually had members from Rutherford County Sheriff's Department, Goodlesville Police Department, um, Murfreesboro Police Department, and others join with us um, in, in getting our cert- in the, that certification. And MTSU, I mean, it's like a, a small city. I mean, because you look at the size of the student body, you've got sometimes you know, 20,000 people there in and out of the campus. It is a small city. And when I moved here in 2007, that was one of the the first things I learned. It's a city within a city. And you have to learn how to na- navigate those areas. People are walking all over campus. And so sometimes the best way to serve our community is to get out of the vehicle, get on foot or get on a bike, and you can actually get from point A to point B a lot faster and then you also have the the struggle just like murphy's bros got criminals who come to here from nashville you've got the struggle of, of criminals walking onto the campus from all over the place we do we do and I, I i always like to preface this i believe our campus is very safe i have two kids i would have no problem with our children walking on campus at any any time of day or night that being said, things do happen, and we want our campus to be as safe as possible. We want our our students, faculty, and staff to feel as safe as possible. So we make sure that we're out, we're being seen. That way, when things do happen, they know where to go, and they know what to do uh, in that time. So are, are you going to implement even more bicycle officers over the next couple of months? Over the next couple of months, we have we have a hiring cycle going on right now. All of our current officers are are trained up on bike patrol. We have a, a hiring cycle, and it'll be part of their in process training. We've also also are offering um, extra patrols for overtime for uh, officers. So if you want to come work on your day off, with school starting, we have bike patrols. We have what we call walking patrols, and we we call high visibility patrols. That's just being out, being seen, enforcing the speed limit on campus, enforcing the speed limits around campus. Um, enforcing the uh, different traffic control. We have many points on campus that where pedestrians are walking across the streets and the, unfortunately with, you know, vehicles, people pay attention more to their phones than, than they are where they're going. That's a big focus for us right now is, is keeping our pedestrians safe. And what are some of the biggest concerns right now on campus? I mean, would it be speeding vehicles or are there other big concerns? Our biggest issue is 
is theft. That's a crime of opportunity really is our biggest issue on campus. Someone leaving their backpack uh, on the table to go use the restroom. We'll see a laptop being set down at the library. Then they go use the restroom or go check out a book or something. And when they come back, their laptop's not there. So that's our one of our main focuses. You know, we've implemented somewhere between 900 to 1,000 cameras on campus. That's a big priority for us is to have camera coverage, especially on our exits and entrances to all to, to campus. Um, so being seen and being um, enforcing the speed limit, which is just 15 miles an hour on campus, so it's not that fast. But we want people just to slow down, get to school on time, and get to get there to class safely. Again, with us this morning, Captain Jeff Martinez with the MTSU Police Department. So with 900 or so cameras on campus, how many staff members do you have actually watching those cameras? That's a, that's a lot of, that's a big camera system. It's a big camera system. And, you know, most of it is re- reactive to simply watch a camera over, over a monitor is kind of hard to do. Um, but, you know, when we do get a call, our dispatch has instant access to the camera. So when you talk to the dispatcher on the phone, they're sitting talking to you. They're also pulling up the camera that you're closest to. If an officer makes a traffic stop, they have the ability, you know, say the traffic stops at uh, Greenland and MTSU Boulevard, we could pull up a camera right there and we can watch the traffic stop in live uh, in dispatch. And it's helping our officers just be safer it's helping our community out a ton. So are there cameras inside a lot of the buildings as well? Inside and outside. The university has, has, has invested a, a, a lot of money into, the, into this project over the last 10 years, really. And it's, it's taken a long time because a lot of infrastructure. Trying to do things correctly with infrastructure, that's a big part. You know, having things hardwired in, not, not being over Wi-Fi signal and not having power issues to these cameras that that can happen in places. And how does MTSU compare to other universities when it comes to school safety? Um, to, we're in the top, I believe we're in the top 50 in the United States in safety. Um, I don't know the exact number to be honest, but we're a very safe campus. And one of the things that keeps us that, keeps us that way is our proactivity. It's us being out, it's us being seen, it's us walking through the buildings you know, 24-7, 365, just because it's the summertime doesn't mean we don't have officers out there. Just because it's a holiday doesn't mean we don't have officers out there. We're there through Christmas, holiday break, 24-7, 365, we're out there. I mean, you've got people on campus, no matter what day it is, pretty much year-round. Year-round. And the number of events that are, are happening on campus is increasing. And so bike patrol actually goes right along with those events because for football games, I used to, I'm in charge of our response to football games i used to be on bike patrol for for those games and i I, i'll tell you it's it's a great tool to have even if it's cold outside it's a great tool to have because you you can get through the crowd a lot easier and as long as you don't gas yourself out before you get there you can help that person out and what do other officers say i mean would they rather be on bike versus in a car all day I think it depends. It depends on, on the officer's um, age, to be honest. Some of the older, older officers may not want to be out in the 90-degree heat. Some of the younger ones do. Um, it depends on what they are interested in doing. A lot of our officers, 
this year, you know, it's, it's August in Tennessee. So there's not much you can do about being outside. It's going to be hot. Um, but they've taken it with a great attitude. No one's complained. We've had, um, rave reviews from Rutherford County Sheriff's Department on, on, on how the officers have been, been behaving during the class. And we were happy to uh, have them be a part of it so when you guys did the the bike class i know you had you know different deputies from the sheriff's office mm-hmm. for example there w- were these o- different offices were they training with mtsu and mtsu providing the training we provided the training for them yes um we have a certified officers in in what's called um in in bicycle training basically and they get a certification and they keep that certification up, so they teach a, a curriculum, and it's taught the same to each person over a four-day period. And then, the, I mean, you've got a lot of different officers from a lot of different backgrounds, but a lot of them, they, they come from other departments, so they bring with them, I would say, a lot of years of experience whenever they start working at MTSU. They do. We have one officer from Florida right now. He's got 35 years of experience with us, and, I mean, he's a wealth of knowledge, he, you know, from uh, 30 Year, he was in Florida 29 years, and he's been here six years with us now. He's, he's a great tool. Um, we have officers with us that have been with us for over 30 years, and, and they have a lot of knowledge. We have, we've been lucky enough to um, recruit, recruit dispatchers from other agencies. That's been a, an incredible help because they, they know what to ask in the certain situation so that the officer is, is well prepared when they answer that answer a call and then do you have some officers who have literally spent their whole law enforcement career at mtsu we have several um, me included that, that's pretty cool then yeah i've been there 15 years and I, I you know they say when you when you love what you do you don't work a day in your life and i moved here in 2007 and i haven't i haven't looked back what do you enjoy most about being an officer there for me i always think about policing as not being the not being the one that's in the car doing radar, you know, a speed traffic. I think of the one of, of being out and being talking to people. We have a program, for instance, called Adopt-A-Cop where our, our officers will, uh, are assigned to a dorm and they go to that dorm. They do presentations inside the dorm. They do classes inside the dorm and they get to know the, the RAs and area coordinators and residential directors personally that way when they have an issue they can call them directly and say hey i had this issue what should i do and the officer is going to be able to help them i mean a lot of the work i would say is uh, public relations work it really is in this line of work you have to want to talk to people you can't be shy we're gonna we're gonna get that shyness out of you in, in our training <laughs> um you know we have officers that you know sometimes they struggle with that but we just work with them. You know, these these kids are, they're not kids anymore. They're young adults, and they're learning how to get into, uh, come into society, and we want to help them. And sometimes they have hiccups. We're not here to punish them. We're here to help them. Well, when I go before a presentation, before a class, well, I always tell the first thing I tell them is, is, we're here for them. We're here for you. We're not against you. We want to help you get through your college career. We don't want to punish you. We want to help you. And any way we can do that possible, we're, we're going to do it. You know, when working with teenagers and young adults, I'm sure sometimes you can be a little surprised by their actions, uh, but I, I'm sure it makes it interesting as well. 
It does. You know, you have the, when it snows, you have the snowball fights and you just go, well, they're being kids, you know, they're not doing anything wrong. It's, you know, someone wants to do donuts in a, in a, in a parking lot. You go, Hey, let's not do that. Like that's, let's think smarter, you know, but you just teach them. And then, you know, before you know it, you have a contact with somebody and you, you're helping them rather than you're giving them a good light of how you're, you're just a person also. So like, you're giving them that personal touch. And I guess for those incoming freshmen, a lot of them are, are still in that high school frame of mind anyway. It can be that way. Um, you know, kids would be kids. Everyone was young once, and you want them to have fun. You want them to have the college experience. You know, we just want them to do it safely. I, I guess it could uh, turn pretty drastic pretty quick, especially if you involve alcohol or drugs in, in the picture. I mean, it's college. Those things are going to happen, right? We've got to be honest about it. Those things are going to happen. Um, again, our first step is to help you through that process. We're not here to just hammer you in court. We can help you through it. And if, you know, there's ways through the school, you know, you know, we teach kids about the effects of alcohol. You know, that's, that's our biggest issue. Alcohol seems to have the, the worst side effects to any kind of drug out there really, other than opiates, which are terrible but alcohol is the most common one that really just hits college kids the worst you know it, it can become a downhill slide quickly and when you do have to make an arrest there on the campus is there a holding cell or anything at the mtsu police department or is it straight to the sheriff's office it's straight to the sheriff's office there's a myth that we have a holding cell in, in our in our in our police department, it's a myth. We do not. It's, it's straight to 940 New Salem Highway. Again with us this morning, Captain Jeff Martinez with the MTSU Police Department. And as we close this morning, are you still currently hiring? We are hiring. We have a. We just closed our position out. We will probably open another one up here in a few weeks. We, um, we're constantly hiring. That's the state of, of policing. We are about eight people down right now, I would say. And that's not uncommon. You know, we have our ebbs and flows. We have enough staff to cover 24-7, 365 for dispatch and, and patrol. We have an investigations unit that's fully staffed. You know, we have a training unit that's fully staffed, and um, we're ready for the fall semester. I mean, it's, it's literally a, a full-service police department, but in a, a, a smaller area, I guess. We're, we're a, a small department, but... In the in the grand scheme of things, we're we're considered a large department, and we're happy to we're happy to keep working hard as long as as long as we have a um, our customers to to serve. Hey, and if anybody is interested in uh, applying for a job there at the police department, what's the best thing to do? The best thing to do is is look at our social media, uh, our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's our best. That's our best way. We'll post it out there. It's also on Indeed and LinkedIn. Um, whenever we have, whenever we post something, um, we, we post a, a job that's open for two weeks. That's our, that's the, one of the rules of the university and we have to abide by that rule. So it's open for two weeks at a time. And then we, we go from there. And then when you become an officer at MTSU, are you actually at the state level? I mean, is it, you're paid by the state? How does that work? So we're paid by the state or state employees through MTSU. You go to the police academy in, uh, Nashville and Toledo and Tennessee Law Enforcement Training Academy. Um, it's a 12-week academy, and you get your certification through through them. But, you, you know, we're 
we're state employees, so you get all the state benefits. You get health insurance, dental, 401k, all that stuff. Again, Captain Jeff Martinez with the MTSU Police Department. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. With cold and flu season here, nothing helps my family more than having the Demas's baked chicken and rice soup. It was a soup that was created by my grandmother, and we not only sell it by the cup, but we also sell it by the quart, by the half gallon, and by the gallon. So stop by anytime today and bring soup to your family that may be sick or a friend that's in sick, or just to enjoy it just because it tastes so good. Demas's Restaurant. Hey guys, if you've noticed a lack of energy, motivation, and drive, it could be Low T. Schedule your health assessment at Low T Center, where they now offer the convenience of monitored self-inject at home testosterone treatments for only $155 a month cash pay or covered by most health insurance. If you don't live near a Low T Center or just need the convenience of at-home treatment, Low T Center makes it easy to get started on treatment. Only your first two visits are in person. Go to LowTCenter.com now to book online. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City. We need to be especially mindful to protect our pets from fleas and ticks. Here at Animal City, we carry a variety of products to keep your dog and cat safe. In addition to products that will directly protect your pet, we carry a variety of items to keep your home safe as well. Here at Animal City, we would like to thank Murfreesboro for letting us be your family-owned and operated pet store for 33 years. You can find us at Animal City at 919 Northwest Broad. Good Neighbor Talk covers issues you won't hear anywhere else. They're local issues. WTNS, AM, AM, FM, FM, online. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSradio.com. Right now that time, 8.33, and now in studio with us this morning, Dr. Katie Falls, Media Studies Professor, and uh, your role there is the new Director of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media. So tell us a little bit about that position first. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I've been in this director role, which you might know as department chair as well, of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media since January. So I've just gotten my feet wet a little bit and started making some plans for the future and working for our, with our faculty to better help our students. So what all do you do there on a daily basis? Well, on a daily basis, we do a lot of things. Uh, part of it, of course, is uh, class scheduling, uh, working with students, both our current students and prospective students. Uh, I definitely enjoy connecting with parents and their students when they come to check out our program. Uh, we're also doing a lot of behind the scenes changes. For example, curriculum development. We have a curriculum retreat on Wednesday to, to really plan out how can we best help our students moving into the future? And I'm curious, in talking to the students there at MTSU, what are some of their goals in the future in media? Because media changes so fast. Right. Well, we certainly have our students who dream of themselves becoming influencers. Uh, but what we try to stress is that if you have a solid foundation of writing, of the critical thinking skills, of the ability to design, to understand audiences, to use various media platforms, that, that that's really what matters even more than kind of the, the kind of appealing thing that they might see on social media. It's kind of wild that some folks are making a living just by posting crazy videos these days. Yes, but that's not really a great long-term goal. It's better <laughs> to come at it with a solid set of skills, right? That, especially it, in writing and digital media. And that way you have something to really fall back on if your videos 
stop making it big. You do. And as I tell students and prospective students that if you can really write and you can understand audiences, you can actually have a job in just about every field, right? We think about positions like communication specialist or social media marketer or other jobs that might not be quite as maybe flashy, uh, making TikTok videos or something, but certainly will, will carry you for the long run. Is it a lot harder today to understand the different audiences of media? Because it seems like there's so many of them, and at the same time, they're very fragmented. Uh, absolutely. So you're not writing for a general audience. You're not producing media content for that general audience in the same way that we would have thought about this, especially like you know, 40 or 50 years ago, you really have to understand how to appeal to multiple audiences, thinking about both age and then also reach and platform uh, and your modality as well. It's not just about writing, it's also about creating video and bringing in graphics and, and other forms of media content that we teach. And how do you go about deciding how long to make videos? Because people's attention span is a lot shorter today compared to 30 years ago. <laughs> that is definitely true. Uh, even if you watch like streaming shows versus TV shows uh, a few decades ago, uh, I would say focus on your platform. What are you trying to create? What are you trying to tell? What story are you creating for your audience? Uh, is it informative? Is it just entertaining? Is it just someone slipping on a banana peel, the classic comedy bit, right, and falling down? Um, and combine that with some substance if that's your goal. If you just want to you know, fool around with your friends and do a skateboard trick, that's fine too. Keep it short. It seems like, you know, and I've seen teenagers do this, they will fast forward half of a movie just to get to the main plot. And I'm thinking, yes, well, they will. you just killed the whole movie. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so that expectation of just that really condensed narrative absolutely is, is what we've seen, right, within media landscapes. And, and we need to understand that as uh, media creators. Does that make it harder to teach as well? Um, well, in, in some ways. So I would say I've been at MTSU for 15 years, and I've taught well over 2,000 students. I think that uh, definitely attention spans have grown shorter. Students are not used to putting away their phones if they're not using them specifically for class content. But it also just means that we need to reach students in different ways. So balance, for example, a lecture with uh, you know small group activities in which maybe they do take out their phones because we do teach media, right? So take out their phones and then uh, search for information online using a set of guidelines. So yes, I, I would say. But at the same time, it's, it's a really exciting time to teach different types of media because we consume media all the time in every way. Again, Dr. Katie Foss with us this morning, and uh, she is the new director of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media, uh, again, at MTSU. So what are some of the plans going into the future in that department? Well, we have quite a few plans, and, and a lot of them are in the works. For example, we're working on launching a separate degree or standalone degree in advertising and public relations, uh, still under the umbrella of journalism and strategic media, but that will give our students more of a distinction right when they graduate from our program for those students in ad and PR. Ad, advertising and public relations are not going away. They're just coming up in new forms. And when it comes to advertising, for example, it seems like agencies are having to get a whole lot more creative. Yeah, and really find audiences in new ways and, and using many of the tools that social media influencers use to get audiences. So wowing, I would say, potential customers uh, in ways beyond like the traditional means. 
But yet billboards are still a thing, right? You know, while for years we've seen big companies utilize movies to get mm-hmm. their product out there more, are we going to start seeing more companies on the local level start getting their whatever their product is in different videos or scenes of different TV shows? Uh, more product placement or product integration? Absolutely, especially as more consumers bypass traditional advertising. That's got to make it harder as well for those out there who are trying to figure out what avenue to go down when deciding what to advertise or how. I think so. And and I would say that the benefit of uh, having our students go through this program, especially once we get the standalone degree, is that the students understand these new platforms much more than we do, or at least they understand them as consumers themselves, and they understand that short attention span, like we talked about before, uh, and, and so they know how to use it, how to how to really jazz it up in such a way that we might not even think about it, especially speaking as a generation that did not grow up with some of this technology. So when when you were in school, I'm guessing you know it had to do with journalism back then. Uh, ha- have you been surprised at some of the changes today and and what is being taught today? Uh, I would say absolutely. I would say just from a consumer point of view to see kind of the decline of traditional television had been one, especially because I'm an avid TV fan. And that's not going away. It's just reemerging right in different forms. Uh, But I would also say uh, this fragmented audience. I don't think that any of us could have expected so much fragmentation and so much questioning about what do we even consider news or journalism, including at the local level? And, I, you know, I think even those who are over the age of 40, they're spending more time mm-hmm. on things like YouTube or Facebook or, you know, you name the platform. They're, they're mm-hmm. on it more often now. Uh, absolutely. Especially the two platforms that you named. And, and there's such a, a disconnect from younger generations about what they're using. And I think that's our biggest kind of form of fragmentation is the separation in age, right, and generational gaps. And then what are people viewing on different social media platforms? Mm-hmm. I mean, is it funny videos or, or what is it that you're seeing people actually view? I think it really depends on the group. And and, and something that I think that gets kind of uh, misunderstood sometimes is that social media itself it is not content, right? For example, you can't say that your news source is social media because it depends on exactly what you said, what, what they're consuming, what content are you getting? It's just like saying a television set back in the day, right? was the same as talking about a specific show or a specific TV channel. It's a vehicle for accessing content. So how do you stay up to date, you know, in in that department? I mean, (laughs) and how do the professors stay up to date on on what to teach in media? Ah, well, depending on our different specialties, uh, I would say, first of all, making sure that we tap into a lot of different types of sources, right? That we're consuming local media, which is so important, even though we've seen a lot of communities that don't have local media, which is really unfortunate. Uh, And then also looking at regionally and nationally and internationally, but across platforms as well. Uh, And I also think an important part is to connect with our students. Ask our students, what are you consuming? And and have those discussions and opportunities where they can bring in their own consumption into the classroom. Are are you seeing a lot of non-traditional students who maybe maybe they were already in media and some media field somewhere, but they're coming back to school to kind of learn more or find out what's the latest? Oh, absolutely. And especially for skills, I would say that there's even more of a demand to upgrade those skills and to better understand the up and coming platforms that we might not even know about uh, in order to create advertising campaigns or public relations campaigns or media in other forms. And these days, you know, you can produce 
probably a, a whole TV show <laughs> on your phone, whereas, you know, mm-hmm. 30, 40 years ago, the quality just wasn't there, but now it is there. Are you surprised at how far along the quality has come of, of videography? Oh, absolutely. The quality is so much better than it used to be. But again, that's where we bring in the importance of, of that solid foundation so that the stories that you are telling like, right, even go farther than, than how it comes out, right? How it turns out, even if it's the best quality, even if it's the same as us seeing the world, doesn't matter as much if there's not a solid story, a purpose, an audience, right, an, an overarching message. So I, I guess it all goes back to the student has to learn how to tell the story, whatever story mm-hmm. it is they're wanting to tell. Yeah, and that's what we emphasize. And and that's why we have classes like digital media skills. So they are learning the skills at a professional level to produce the video or to create the website. Uh, but they also have a reason for what they're doing. it, And the reason and the purpose drives the content. And other universities throughout the country, are, are they teaching a lot of the same courses or a lot of the same information that MTSU is? I would say yes. It depends on uh, what program we're looking at. We are an accredited program, which means that we regularly have a site team visit and and, uh, evaluate our curriculum and our facilities, uh, which really keeps us up to date and keeps us pushing the envelope as as far as curriculum goes. Uh, I think that most universities have courses like media literacy, which is so important, media history, law of, of those courses. I would say where we're a little bit more unique is that we really seek to understand our students at MTSU, many of which are first-generation students, uh, some are transfer or non-traditional students, so making sure that our curriculum meets them and then helps prepare them for their next step, be it uh, the workforce or industry or graduate school or whatnot. And again, with us this morning, Dr. Katie Foss with MTSU. And when it comes to the different avenues out there that people can go into their field of study, I mean, it could be in public relations. It could be, mm-hmm. you know, at a TV station. I mean, there's just a long list of places you could work with with a degree focused on journalism. Mm-hmm. Or um, I would say our biggest and uh, fastest growing concentration is sports media. So Talk about a whole world of, of different job opportunities, be it in sports broadcasting, but also sports PR, uh, writing press releases for their favorite team. I mean, there's so many different avenues that you can go down, uh, especially within the umbrella of sports media. And then you have the different sports out there growing in size mm-hmm. and, and popularity as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's not a surprise that that program's nearly tripled in the last three years. It's pretty wild how far along media in general or as a whole has come. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It's, and it's interesting to think about the future as well. Again, with us this morning, Dr. Katie Foss with MTSU. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Right now, that time, 846. You're listening to WGNS. Stay with us because we do have more news and information coming up. At Wingo at Adams Place. Adam's Place makes fun, and there's as much to do as you want to do. When I leave my room about 10 a.m., I don't get back sometimes till midnight. <laughs> I'm a night owl. Well, I like to have fun with my friends. Yes, I do. Where is the fun? Oh, hands down, I'd say Adam's Place. Hi, this is Terry Deal at Adam's Place. Call me for more information about Adam's Place. 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. 
Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Tire World has begun its last at-cost tire sale of the year. Now through Saturday, all passenger and light truck tire brands will be sold at cost. Plus, we're also taking 20% off installation. There are also manufacturer rebates up to $110 on brands such as Bridgestone, Firestone, and Continental. So, no markups, discounts, and rebates for one week only. Don't miss out and call Tire World today. Tire World, we keep all that's news your afternoon local news traffic and weather update with matt lane weekday afternoons 440 until all sports talk on news radio wgns the action line on fm 101.9 and am 1450 murfreesboro fm 100.5 smyrna and streaming at wgnsradio.com Right now that time, 8.48. You're listening to WGNS, and on this segment of the program, we have with us this morning Dr. Christine McCusker, and you are a history professor at MTSU. Yeah, for 23 years now. I came in 2000. 2000. So yeah. you, you've seen a lot of change and a lot of growth there. Holy cow, yeah. Um, this place is a whole lot different than it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about this book we have here, Just Enough to Put Him Away Decent. What? Tell us more about that. Well, it goes back to my first days here in town I was driving along Highland Avenue to get to the library and I looked over and there's a cemetery in the middle of town and not just a cemetery but with really unique um, statuary and stuff and I come from San Francisco where we have a city of the dead we put everybody in Colma California Uh, Joe DiMaggio is buried there my aunt the nun is buried there but they're all tucked away and here's the cemetery that's in the middle of the town. And so I wrote for some National Institutes of Health money. And I wrote a book. This book is about Southern death rituals, but also the ways that Americans in general think about death in the early 20th century. So how different is it in the South versus on the West Coast? Well, so there's a lot of different ways to answer that question. So Southerners keep their dead close so you can go around town and see all these different little bitty um, cemeteries that are rooting mechanisms on people's lands okay um whereas in the and there's different practices so like in the west you'll have a lot higher rates of cremation higher rates um yeah of cremation and and organ donation whereas in the south they're very low because southerners value the whole body at death and that the um family reunion that evangelical christians and the bible tell us that's going to happen you have to have your whole body there or else that's a problem interesting and it's an interesting topic i'm sure to research because you know like you were saying it is very different versus you know east coast west coast or in the south i I mean just the traditions are so far apart in some cases well they are and they aren't so in many ways over the course of the early 20th century americans in general questioned when you should die how you should die and who should care for you Um, but there's a lot of poignancy in a lot of these new rituals that were coming out that, you know, with the expansion, for example, of uh, industrial bases after World War I, death became something that you scrapbooked. 
And so, and men and women did it. And so there's a woman in Columbia, South Carolina, who kept a death journal, two volumes, for 17 years after her sister died. Huh. Um, so that's something that's relatively unique. But then again, everybody moves toward embalming, toward higher... Um, lowering mortality rates in the South. So it's that the book is a balance. It's not a tennis game, I hope. It's a balance between the two. And you go back to some eras and they were actually photographing the dead and even propping them up. I mean, very strange in some, I guess, in some different settings well you know i actually expected to see that and didn't so if you think about cedars of lebanon they have a wonderful historical exhibit there and one of the things we know is that with the photos that they have there of the locals the camera came to the locals to have your picture made and not the other way around they went to the photographer and so if somebody was dead when the photographer got there they took a picture but that tended not to happen um it may be so much of the bible in the early 1900s dictated lifespan graven images those things um that may be part of it but i think it's an issue of practicality too that people just didn't have cameras until world war one and then people started going around and taking pictures of cemeteries and things so what was the most i don't know fascinating thing you learned when doing the research and writing this book um well i'll tell you the one of the most poignant ones um beyond the fact that this was a way to engage my students in thinking and writing about history um a b-24 bomber which were the workhorses of World War II, would have 10 guys on board. And there it was a, a pilot by the name of Harold Leeser from Virginia. And he was piloting uh, the day before he went out, uh, June 25th, 1944. He wrote his mom a letter. And the second to the last line was, and two, mom, we still remember our prayers. The next day he died. And the plane went down, and for a long time, they didn't know who had survived because the little marshmallows they saw, five of the guys made it off, four survived the war. But the family started writing each other. They didn't know each other, but they have you heard, have you heard, have you heard? And they finally figured out that four guys had survived. One of the survivors sent Harold Leeser's mother a Mother's Day card for the rest of her life every year wow yeah and so the poignancy and the depth of what i discovered was just remarkable like that did people have a bigger heart back then i I mean or did you find stuff like that still taking place you know the past the era of of world war ii well i think people are kind to each other in any in any time time period um i also think they're kind of ugly to each other in any time period you know um the kindness is reshaped though because in the 1920s um freud's ideas about melancholy about grief become really common but even more importantly emily post is saying this is how you help people grieve this is how you help you know, put people away decent. Um, so it's a matter of difference rather than of kind. So how do, I mean, if you were to sum up, how do 
Southerners view death versus how does, you know, X, Y, Z, wherever view death? Well, I think it's a lot more, um, there's a lot of remnants about the past in the present. And so in the ways that those remnants still appear. So for example, you know, you learn pretty quickly when you move here that if there's a funeral procession going by, you move over and you stop. That's not something I've seen anywhere else. Now, other people are telling me, you know, Southern Indiana has some similar stuff. In many ways, this is well a book that, you know, tell me about what's different about your place. Um, but there is a consistency in terms of how people actually practice the ritual now that it's been professionalized. So there are the remnants, but then there is the traditions that people are now invested in. So do you touch base on that in the book about how people in the South pull over whenever there is a funeral passing? It's the first story I tell on the front page. And wait, where did you come from when you moved here? And I'm curious, was this new to you as well? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I had been living in Lawrence, Kansas while finishing my master's and my PhD. And I got the job and I came here. And, you know, in some ways, the book is a midlife crisis. You know, we're all going to die. So you got to confront it. So academics write books about it. (laughs) Um, But it was uh, the ways people care for each other are historically conditioned. And I like to see how people did that in the past. And so these remnants are charming to find. And what did you find in the past in the South when it came to, you know, like horse and buggy taking the the coffin to the cemetery? Did did they do things like pull over to the side of the road for those who were coming? It might've been that. It might've been the first horses that came through. Um, But, you know, there's a practicality about early or early 1900s rural funerals because there's no embalming. Um, People are dying, so you got to get them into the ground quickly. Um, And um, so the idea is, is to is a relative amount of practicality that the ceremony is one that comes when those consumer items come out. So one of the things we know is that black ladies used to buy purple coffins for themselves at death because purple is the color of royalty and Christian beliefs. So here they are laid out in a purple coffin as royals. So how, because we're about out of time, how can somebody find this book if they want to learn more? Oh, well, um, it's available on Amazon. Amazon. It's available from, which is the easiest way and the way most people get their books these days, but the press as well. It's University of Illinois Press. So on Amazon, just type in what? Just enough to put them away decent. Yeah, or my last name, yeah. And, And how'd you come up with that title, by the way? It's a quote. I didn't know that. Yeah, somebody was being uh, interviewed, and she said, my husband was a pilot uh, in the 20s and 30s, and he crashed, and there was just enough burial insurance to put him away deficient. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. So again, you can find it on Amazon and just type in just enough to put them away decent and, and or your last name. So yeah. McCusker. Yes. One of those two. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate you. Time right now, 8.59. Stay with us. We have CBS News coming your way next. And also we'll take a look at local news in just a second with Ron Jordan. Again, time right now, 8.59.